HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This program is made possible thanks to the generosity of our listeners. Show your support at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. This week on Meet in Three, we're embracing the spooky spirit of Halloween, from zombies to witches. We're exploring the odd, the occult, and the taboo in the world of food. There are restaurants with no storefront shrunken down into hundreds of square feet versus thousands of square feet. No servers, no hosts, nobody taking your order. The rats in the sewers are now smelling, all of a sudden, fresh food molecules. And those rats were like, holy cow, follow that scent. Tune in to Meat and Three, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. We're recording remotely, and today is Tuesday, October 27th, 2020. I'm Jimmy Carboni. I'm the host of Beer Sessions on HeritageRadioNetwork.org, and we're talking about what's new in New York City. We'll have guests from two breweries, uh, 18th Ward and Bridge and Tunnel. So let's have the guests introduce themselves. Let's start with Rich. Hey, how you doing, Jimmy? It's Rich uh, Castagna from Bridge and Tunnel Brewery. Great, Rich. It's great to have you back on. And then Jordan? Uh, glad to be here. Jordan Beldner from 18th Ward Brewing. Great. And Will? Hey, how you doing, Jimmy? It's Will uh, from 18th Ward Brewing, head brewer. Great. I'm so glad to have you guys on. Uh, this time of year, usually we're thinking about things like fall releases and Oktoberfest, but we're also thinking about you know having people inside our breweries and tasting rooms and restaurants. So it's been quite a year, and I know you guys have, have a lot to talk about. So we're going to start with Jordan. Jordan, just tell us about the story of 18th Ward, how you opened. You guys have a very cool place, I know, and it's in Williamsburg. It's near Brooklyn Steel. So obviously, when you open, you depended on a, a lot of uh, in-person crowds. So just tell us you know, what it was like opening and the big transitions you've had to make. Uh, well, you hit it uh, with the reason why we chose this location was because it was directly across the street from Brooklyn steel. Uh, you know, in a given, uh, given year, they play, uh, pretty full shows, uh, 10 months of the year. Uh, we opened last September, uh, 2019. Uh, it was great. We loved it. Uh, we were open for about five months before, uh, COVID happened. And, uh, you know, we, um, kind of had to pivot our business model. Uh, we were not planning on canning this fast after opening, but uh, when COVID happened, we decided to can our beer. And uh, that's pretty much it. So originally it, it was a brew pub. You had a full menu and definitely had a party vibe, right? Yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's a nice looking space. It uh, used to be a carpet factory. Uh, so we gutted and uh, put a three barrel system in here. Uh, you know, a lot of the shows, uh, pre, pre-shows and post-show were pretty crazy here. Uh, we had a full uh, kitchen menu as well. So it was it was a fun time while it lasted. Yeah. And yeah, I, I definitely noticed on Instagram you have a lot of cans now. Um, it's it's This is the craziest time. And I don't, I don't even know how to ask you that because I know you opened a, a place for people. 
how is this next stage going for you guys? Uh, are, you, are you having any people inside yet, or is it still just uh, pickup and delivery? Well, you know, we uh, since the area we're in, is, it's this industrial park, if you will, and uh, it's not busy on weekends. So we have a 50-foot outdoor space, uh, which has been great since we were allowed to have people back, you know, around. Uh, so it's it's when we came back, it was a little tough for us at the beginning because people, people didn't know who we were. And uh, one thing uh, that helped us was getting our cans out there, getting our beer, our labels. Uh, and uh, it brought a significant amount of foot traffic to us on weekends, which has been great. That's great. Now let's uh, talk to Will. So, Will, you're the head brewer at 18th Ward. Tell us a little bit about your background because uh, I know you've got a pretty good resume as a brewer. Um, yeah, so I started my, uh, my, my brewing career at a single cut the five five six years ago at this point um when i first started i was running um keg deliveries part-time and then in the cellar the other 50 percent of the time so kind of an entry-level start by uh by most standards but within a month or so of me being there our uh our brewer ended up moving to Maine with his wife. So I got thrust into brewing pretty quickly. And then um, from there, you know, a year later began running the operations over there and then uh, made the move over to Captain Lawrence for a little while to kind of get a little bit more hands-on in terms of the large scale production. They were running a 50 barrel automated system and it was, it was uh, definitely a good learning experience. I learned how to run a lot. Um, a lot more intricate equipment, um, you know, things like a centrifuge and obviously the automated system. And <clears throat> so that was a lot of fun. And then um, went over to the Bronx Brewery to uh, help with them uh, scaling up um, at their location in the South Bronx. They had some, uh, some contractors shipped around. So the last two years I've been over there, you know, improving quality, um, improving processes making the operation a little bit more efficient uh, as best as I could. And then kind of brought me back sort of full circle to 18th Ward where I get, you know, to run this three barrel system where I kind of have a lot of uh, the creative freedoms that I think, you know, every brewer really strives for at some point in their career. Um, I've been uh, you know, gracious to uh, Jordan and Mike for, Kind of trusting me with their uh, their brand and then you know creating their liquid. Well, that's great. Now let's go to Rich at Bridge and Tunnel. Rich, uh, I know how you started. We've we had you on the show many times, and I know you very well. Uh, you started with your little garage brewery, and um, in the course of expanding, you know, so you're kind of in the same boat as them, but you, you're a little. I think you're a step above in terms of you know your production and everything. Um, what have you had to change? Um, since COVID started in terms of what beers you're making and um, particularly your beer lineup, if that's changed. So yeah, COVID hit and um, we had to uh, pretty much do the same thing. We had to uh, can pretty much as much as we, as many styles as we could. And um, we, we didn't do a lot of canning prior to that. Um, we have a distributor now and, we would pretty much pass cans to them cases according to what they wanted. And then, uh, our, our canning was like for in-house, um, you know, for people coming in buying four packs, but we never really became, uh, I guess known for the cans. And once COVID hit within the first week, I knew that if we didn't, if we didn't make this, you know, make canning our thing and deliveries and pick up and pre-order and all that. If we didn't do that immediately, then we were going to sink in a month. So I ramped up, you know, my canning rig. Um, and like, as like, give you an idea, like we used to buy a pallet of cans, you know, that's like, it's 5,000 cans on a pallet. And um, we'd burn through that pallet and maybe three, four months, you know, we really weren't doing a lot. And once COVID hit, we were burning through 
you know, those 5,000 cans in three weeks, which for us is a lot. Maybe for another brewery, it's not a lot, but for us, that was moving at a pretty quick pace. And then all the whole canning process ended up pretty much like there was a, a need for extra storage, which basically the tap room became consumed with this canning project. Um, and, you know, the tap room was closed. So that was, you know, it allowed us to basically turn the entire uh, brewery, you know, that shares the tap room to just turn it all into production. So we, we, you know, we came out of the gate strong, you know, like that. And it pretty much saved us. I mean, we did, we were doing well for the first few months. And then when everybody started coming back outside, deliveries dropped off. Um, and then, you know, by that time, then we were on to a new challenge and the next challenge was outdoor seating. So we pushed everything outside, kept doing the, we kept, we we're still doing the canning, but not as at the pace that we once were, you know, that we were doing during the shutdown. And, um, but it, we had turned the tap room into such a workspace that it's literally taken me probably about a month to clean it up. We're still, it's still not a hundred percent. So we haven't opened the tap room yet because I'm, I've still been like not satisfied with, you know, the complete mess that we made, you know, during, uh, during the shutdown. So, but yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. So many breweries like yours, you know, since 2014, so many breweries in New York have opened with the model of, of, of getting people, into their space and, and, and paying retail price. Um, how, how does it feel? I mean, you're, you're actually like an old school brewery now you're making cans and selling them. Yeah. I mean, we, we had tried to, you know, be a brewery that, you know, that did canning. We had tried it, but you know, you, you know how it is for us. I mean, it's like, we, we don't have a big marketing budget. Um, we're, you know, we're a smaller brewery and, it was really like a local following that we had. And then, uh, you know, like I, I, I work in other jobs, so I don't get a chance to go out and do collaborations with other breweries and all that stuff, I think adds to people not knowing bridge and tunnel as a brewery that, you know, has cans available and people, you know, seek out the cans, but that dynamic changed a bit during, uh, during the shutdown. Because we we came out like I turned it around within a week, and many of the beers that I never even had labels for, we we I put together labels, and within the first couple of weeks, we went from maybe having literally like maybe three can varieties at a time to blowing out to like you know ten eleven different styles available in four packs. And then we, and then we were doing, um, you know, we were doing deliveries. So we started putting out, uh, you know, ads on social media and then we just started getting orders from, you know, going all through Manhattan, people that would never, that we were never able to penetrate accounts that we were, weren't able to penetrate wholesale. Now people retail were being, weren't able to, you know, buy from us and there was nobody on the road because it was during the shutdown. So we were doing we were able to, for once we were able to penetrate the market, you know, with the resources that we had. And, and now, um, uh, you know, now that everything is gravitated toward outdoor seating and eventually now, now it's going to get, you know, getting colder again, we're going to, we're going to come back inside, but people are still coming for, you know, takeaway of four packs because, of that exposure during the shutdown. So it, it's like, we, we did better. We, we made a gain and we, we finally broke, broke into, you know, being known as a brewery that has cans, you know, that has product in cans and, uh, you know, we're trying, we're trying to keep it going. I mean, and it, and it was a, a really good learning experience. I mean, we, we, you know, I, I, uh, I had to rebuild my canning system. Um, and it, it was, it was, uh, I can't say that we walked away feeling that we, that we walked away hurt. Like we, we, you know, felt stronger after it, you know. Chris, did, did you make your canning system 
from scratch in the beginning? Yes. Or did you mo- you you built it yourself? Of I course built you it, did. <laughs> I built yeah. I built it myself. Um, but it it required uh like some adjustments to to make it so that we can go f- faster. You know, and um, and you know, it was like really like there was uh. You know, like like they say, what do they say? Um, necessity is the uh, something along that lines with with invention, something along those lines. Like you're basically like because listeners, you can, you can fill that one in. So. Yeah, <laughs> basically, like because we had to do it, I had to come up with solutions. You know, and um, we had to do it very quickly, and it and the result is that we you know we really dialed it in, and um. You know, it was just one of those things that 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 we got that we kind of got better at. That's great, Rich. So, Rich, hold on, we're we're going to come back to you. So, um, let's go to Jordan. Just changing the subject a little bit. So, let's go back to opening a year ago, because uh, you know things will get better. What were a couple of standout moments? You know, when when you you know tell us about opening up in Williamsburg, across from Brooklyn Steel. You know, how long did you look for that space? What were some of the original thoughts you had? And some of the planning that that you went went through. Well, I guess uh, I guess to answer your first part of the question, uh, opening night, uh, we just opened the door, uh, no fanfare. We knew there was a concert across the street, and we got uh, crushed for uh, the pregame. Uh, people that had you know typically lined up around the corner to get into Brooklyn Steel, all of a sudden saw there was a neon sign that said brewery across the street, and they walked in, and uh, so that was. You know, that night we were able to look at each other, my partner Mike and I, and uh, and just and just say, okay, this this was the right decision. So, uh, but uh, to answer the second part, which was um, how long did it take? Uh, it took almost almost two years. It took a year and a half uh, to finally get this place open. Uh, it just took a long time. Construction took a long time. Uh, the the uh, city as we know, tends to drag its feet sometimes with uh, getting the uh, the okays for certain things uh, without throwing them completely under the bus. So uh, that took a while. And um, yeah, uh, you know, again, it's uh, it's been challenging since COVID shut down Brooklyn Steel, and I don't know when they're coming back. I don't think anybody knows. And, you know, we lost since we weren't canning and we didn't have that additional revenue stream, we lost, I want to say 90% of our business when they shut the doors. So for us, again, it was, well, we're not going to close. So how do we, how do we figure this out? And um, again, we pivoted, we can, we brought Will in and I'm I'm, uh, pretty happy with the way things have gone since we did that. Yeah, that's pretty wild. I mean, uh, everything like that, large venues, I just follow what, what Broadway is doing and Broadway. I remember when, when COVID started, they put out certain dates and it kept it kept getting pushed back. And I think now they're, they're talking about Broadway is not going to open till like June of next year. Right. So uh, every, everybody seems to think uh, the people that you, you talk to that are associated with Brooklyn Steel and, and all these other venues uh, seem to think that next fall is when hopefully they can reopen. Wow, that's crazy. So originally, uh, let, let's get Will on. So, Will, when you came in, just tell us some of the first beers you're doing. Tell us what what you had to do as a brewer uh, in, in 18th Ward. And when did you come in? Um, I think it's been about two months now, right? Yeah, I came August. in the uh, middle of August. So um, my first thing as a brewer is to make sure everything is spotless. Hmm. Um, so I kind of top down, clean the place, and um, – the first, I think the first beers I put in the tank were, of course, a New England IPA and um, a pale ale. Because I think before before me, they were we were producing a lot of um, you know kind of farmhouse styles and wild wild ales, um, Bukovics and stuff like that. Um, not personally my palate, uh, but um, you know New England IPAs, pale ales, IPAs. Those are the things that sell and. Those are the things that we needed to start putting in cans. Um, so we uh, pushed out the Rooftop Razor, which is our first New England IPA, and our Crashboard Pale Ale, which is our first Pale Ale. And um, since then, been doing. We have a 
for Lunar Vice now, we have two different Pilsners. We have a Golden Ale. We have another IPA. Um, so we're kind of, at this point, since we are a little small and we have the flexibility, especially with our um, mobile canner coming in and out, like we're really trying to get as many styles out there and really trying to see what people like and what people want. Um, you know, when Brooklyn Steel was open, people just came and drank. And um, we're trying to make sure that people know that we're still here with these these big IPAs. And, you know, um, even uh, this week I brewed a, a uh, I brewed my first ever pastry stout in six years. <laughs> beignet pastry stout. Oh, yeah, beignet. beignet pastry stout. New Orleans inspired. I listened to uh, to music all day while I brewed it. Um, some Cafe du Monde coffee with chicory, of course. And uh, so you know, all also having fun while uh, while doing it. But and well, let's let's talk let's let's talk about your beers first because I, I noticed you, you're really featuring all the cans. The dandelion image is that a golden ale? That is. So tell us about that that recipe. So that is based off of a, a traditional German golden. And it's actually, um, it was just before my time, um, a previous brewer had it, but I've, I've done, I've tweaked it a tiny bit since then. Um, it has turned out to be one of my favorite beers that we've been putting out. Um, but it's, it's very, very lightly hopped, um, uh, all German Euro hops, uh, German ingredients, and just a super, super light, crushable golden with um an emphasis on the floral aromatics um and flavors yeah and i noticed uh, are you selling the cans to other restaurants and accounts too we're uh we've actually just uh you know one of the one of the best parts about this summer was we partnered with uh tap rm i don't know if you've heard of them uh they were you know an online they're a distribution company first and foremost but they uh, they pivoted as well, and uh, they became an online uh, store, if you will, and they delivered all across New York State. Uh, you know, we sold to them. Uh, they continuously bought all of our product that we, we brought in, which we were very thankful for. And then we actually just uh, signed a couple of weeks ago a, a uh, wholesale distribution deal with them. So, uh, you know, th- they were fantastic. And, they, and what was great about that site is that it was able to showcase our labels. And our labels—I don't know if you've seen them before—but they're they're pretty fantastic. We have a wonderful artist, uh, Abby Bull, out of San Francisco, who uh, who does it for us, and they're great. So, did you have? Did you find her after COVID? Was that part of your change? She's actually your- she's a friend. So she's a friend, and she offered. She came to us and said, "I'd love if you guys would let me just to to uh, design a can." We had her design a can, and then we were like, "Okay, <laughs> you're you're in." So. Uh, it's been it's been a great relationship with her as well. Jordan, um, what were a couple standout cans that you that you want to tell us about between the art or the beer or or the sales? So, um, I guess you know, uh, taste wise or, or just the label art itself. For for you, what jumps out for you? What were standout cans? So I think our let's let's our standout tasting beer so far is between our rooftop rager, which was Will's first beer. It's a seven-seven IPA, uh, you know, a little heavy hitter, and it was it was fantastic. It was something that we hadn't had really here in a year. Um, and then he just came out with a new one, uh, which is uh, from this series that we're doing. Uh, it's called the Traveling Band series, and uh, it's the Fall series, and it's an IPA that is that is amazing. And in addition to that, the label art for it is awesome. And what's cool about us with the series, it's going to be the the we're in the fall right now, and then. Gonna have a winter, a spring, and a summer, and it's gonna basically be this same traveling band logo, and just kind of switch it up with the uh, with the season. Well, that fits, and it keeps, so that builds your brand for you know next year when Brooklyn Steel reopens too, right? Right. That's great. Another thing for you, um, growing the can sale. So tell us more about this 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 Tap RM. Um, so uh, you know they. Uh, I think they're the new kids on the block. Uh, they yeah. they kind of you know came around two years ago. Um, I own two other bars, so um, we knew about them from just uh, from the on the other side of it. Just uh, they would come to us trying to sell their beer and uh, you know their portfolio. And so 
when I found out about the online sales that they were doing and they were clearly moving beer all across New York State, we felt it was the best option. Obviously, you know, the, the beer sales are nice, but really more for us, it was to get our name out. And I trusted in our label art. And they, uh, from what I know, they have done quite well. And uh, then, you know, again, we, we talked and when we brought Will on, we signed with them uh, uh, for the wholesale distribution. Uh, they, you know, again, uh, I, I can't talk well enough about them. So they do, they pick up from you and just tell me the whole process because it's always tricky. You probably didn't expect to, to be wholesaling, did you? No, that was not, that was definitely not the plan when we opened. Uh, so we've had to, you know, I've never been part of a brewery before. I've never owned part of a brewery before. So uh, to kind of grow into this and make the decisions along, especially with the challenging times of, of COVID has been, um, you know, you second guess yourself, but you think you make the right decisions. And, and I think we have so far. Um, uh, so uh, to answer your question um, with Taproom, um, you know, being able to what, you know, what they've been able to provide us uh, internally is I can see where our beer has been sold over the last six months. And so I can see that our beer has been sold in Lake George, for argument's sake. And, you know, for me next time, I know next summer, you know, maybe we get, we go up there with a couple of guys and we just uh, spend some money up there and, and buy some beer. And, and, and uh, you know, it really helps us on, on the wholesale front. Yeah. And then um, can I may I ask, what, what are the bars that you own? Uh, I own uh, Northern Bell in uh, Williamsburg and I own uh, Jimbo Slims, which is on the Williamsburg Greenpoint uh, border. Great. And uh, w- what made you want to open a brew pub? Um because obviously, how long have you been in the business now? Uh, well, uh, we, we've owned bars for eight years. My partner's owned bars, uh, actually going up about another six years past that. And um, we've always been in the business. And then just at some point years ago, we said, let's, let's open a bar. And then we wanted to torture ourselves and said, let's open another bar. And then we really wanted to torture <laughs> again and said, let's open a brewery. So that's pretty much how it went. So then you did it right when you when you – you had to switch over. You brought in Will. So, um, guys, we're off to a great start. We're just going to take a short break, and we'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. All of us at HRN have been keeping busy, despite working and recording from home. This fall, we're proud to announce new shows on the network that each bring important and enlightening stories to listeners around the world. While the world is in turmoil and the future of our country is uncertain, there are certain constants that help keep us going. For us, food and storytelling are essential. While we can't come together in person, food podcasts from HRN provide a virtual table we can all gather around. Bringing exceptional stories to your ears and keeping you informed on the ever-changing political and environmental issues of our time is integral to our mission. At a time when the world around us is rapidly changing, HRN is committed to being here for our listening community, and we need you to be here for us. Join our table and help ensure the future of food radio by becoming a member of HRN. Go to heritageradionetwork.org donate to make a contribution. Check out the latest additions to our lineup while you're there. You can see all of our series at heritageradionetwork.org slash new show. Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. Please support us and become a member at heritageradionetwork.org. So we're talking, it's fall, it's October 2020. We're talking with 18th Ward Brewing and Bridge and Tunnel Brewing. So, of course, things have changed a lot. Uh, a year ago, uh, 18th Ward was opening breweries wanted to have on-premise and, and you know, full house of, of, of people. And everyone's been pivoting to can sales and a lot of other business models. So for you, Rich, um, I want to go way back with you because that, that garage, some of the garage beers you made were some of my favorite. And I know it took you for several years to really find the right location to open. But when you opened, you know, wh- what year did you open uh, your Ridgewood uh, brewery and tasting room? Yeah, well, we we opened the tap room and the well, we opened the brewery uh, 2015, 
uh, November of 2015 is when we actually opened the doors uh, to the public. Um, I was brewing in there uh, a few months prior to that. So the tap room wasn't ready yet. And, uh, well, yeah, that's pretty much it. And uh, prior to that, I was building for about a year. Um, yeah, so we've been, you know, we do every November, we do a uh, an anniversary party, which obviously this year we're not doing it. Um, but, you know, we do like a pig roast. And uh, so this would have been, I don't know, Five years, twenty, yeah. twenty, yeah, five years. It would have been. Yeah, I, I remember. I was, I was there right before you opened. Um, but for me, the, the beers that stood out were some of the like the hazelnut eyes. You, yeah. It seemed like you had more more dark beers, and you started making some IPAs. Yeah. Um, wh- what's changed now? So, what are beers that you're making uh, during the pandemic that are selling in cans? Yeah, uh, I you know I'm still following seasonal trends, I guess, you know, I mean, I could do, I could do stouts all year round and I do, you know, like I always keep, you know, we had two stouts that we ran through the summer. Um, you know, I do, you know, beginning of the summer, I did a, uh, a raspberry sour. Uh, we had a, the can label was, um, buddy of mine did, did, uh, he has a tattoo shop down in, uh, uh, Williamsburg. And he was actually, he, he, he did a bunch of uh, album artwork back when he was, you know, 18, 19 years old for bands that, you know, a few of them are like kind of famous in their, you know, in their circles. Um, so he offered to do a, a portrait of my dog because he was doing dog. He was doing like pet portraits during COVID because his his, uh, his uh, tattoo shop was closed. So he offered to to do a portrait of my dog just because we're friends and we're neighbors and uh long story short we ended up putting our dog on the on the label of the can so that was like uh that was our fun beer for the summer um uh it was called riley royale um kind of like a little uh it was like a pulp fiction uh little reference you know royale with cheese yes we called it riley royale um and then uh you know, I've been doing. We we've been we've been kind of grooving with some of the New England IPAs. We have our ba- you know bagel IPA. We've been messing around with a coconut IPA. Uh, we did a, a Belgian wit that we named uh, No Mask. Forget about it, um, which was kind of you know fun and timely. Um, and now we're you know now we're heading into the fall. So we're we just did some canning for our stouts again. Um, I might actually do the hazelnut brown ale again, possibly this week. Uh, we just did some cider, you know, um, we're kind of, we're sticking to what we always do. You know, we always like, we always throw a wide net and we try to give people that option, you know, like, well, a, yeah, and you're, you're the ultimate, you know, if, if I was out in Ridgewood, you'd, I'd be at your place every week, just throw a wrench in this. So when, when did you want to th- either, swear or pull your hair out or get really upset was it march was it april was it may did you did you ever lose it uh after the pandemic started you know it's funny um when when things start to transition to another stage is when i feel stressed out you know so initially when we first you know, the first week of like the shutdown, a tap room was closed and then having to come up with a plan that that first week was pretty hard, you know, and then the canning got, you know, you started moving on to, you know, with the cans. And then uh, and then there was a feeling of relief because it was working. And then um, when everybody came back outside and everything opened up again, you know, then the delivery started dropping off. And then it was like, okay, here we go again. You know, what's now, what's the next wave? And then we put tables outside, you know, and that was working out. But, you know, then in the summertime, people start going away. So we were getting a little bit of a lull on that, on that, you know, and, you know, during that time. So then, you know, once again, the stress comes back and now 
honestly, I'm in it right now, you know, because, okay, the cans are doing, you know, the can, you know, people are coming in, they're buying four packs, um, bringing them home. It's, it's very helpful, you know, um, our, you know, our outdoor seating is doing fine, but I have a landlord that I'm always trying to keep on the good side with, and I didn't want to go, you know, hog wild and build, you know, outdoor seating on the street, you know, like on the curb. So we just limited, we limited our outdoor seating to the sidewalk, partly because it's a bus lane. It didn't stop my neighbor up the street from doing it, but I just didn't want to do it. And so, you know, weather is changing. You know, now I'm starting to get emails from people saying uh, that they want to they want to help us with uh, heating lamps and, uh, you know, propane tanks. There's no way I'm going to do that, you know, just because I, I I'm trying to be low impact with my landlord. So once once the cold hits, we're going back inside. And I don't know, you know, like this could be a hard winter. I don't know where things are going to be, you know. So. Yeah, that's true. That's true for everyone, Richie. And, and Jordan, for you guys, uh, the transition, uh, you know, opening outside, it sounds like that was easy for you guys because you're, 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 you're more hospitality. Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously with the, you know, uh, to Rich's point with the, the winter times can be tough. You know, at this point we can fit 18 people in here at a given time. Um, so we'll see how that plays out <laughs> over the winter. Um, uh, we were we were lucky that we had the outdoor space that we had, and um, you know again I, I don't know how the next couple of months are going to fare for not just us you know everybody here. Do you think that, that do people want to come inside? I mean I, I do. You know I've been out of the city in places where there's fifty percent capacity, and you know I'm very happy being inside as well. Do I think people are going to want to come inside? Uh that's a tough question. I think uh, I think the answer is yes. I think people are are fiending to feel a little bit normal, but I do uh, feel that there's a huge faction of people that will not go inside. Like my wife, she will not uh, go inside a bar, uh, even though I own three of them. She will not go inside and hang out. <laughs> same, and uh, Will's wife is the same. Yeah, and then uh, okay, and let's back to beer now. So Will. Just, just getting to know you. So two months on the job. Um, wow. W- was this a, ch- a challenge that you were up for? I mean, are, are you excited every day coming in and making beer? Yeah, yeah, of course. I think I think being here has kind of brought me back to my roots a little bit, um, where I'm actually, you know, very much intimately involved in the day-to-day brewing, um, as opposed to kind of running what at a certain point feels like factory work um you know it it is pretty exciting to um to piece together the utter chaos that is the operations of a eight thousand barrel plus brewery um but yeah over here it's it's great i mean i come in i i i get to brew whatever crazy thing comes into my head and um you know, within reason, obviously. Got to make sure it sells. But, um... Yeah, we let you do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you you got it. But, uh, Will, I know that, um, you know, Ann, Ann Riley at New York City Brewers Guild, she told me about so many of the great different fall releases that, that New York City Brewers were putting out. Um, what's a favorite for you for fall that, that's still out there so that I can tell listeners now um, that they can get from 18th Ward the next couple weeks? Hmm. So I would say honestly, our um, our fall tour uh, seasonal IPA is pretty. I mean, it's it's very very appropriate for this time. It's like it is, of course, a hazy IPA, but it's got tons of um, of tangerine and uh, citrus oil flavors to it, while the color looks incredible, uh, like like autumn leaves to give you some imagery there. And uh, it's got plenty of really pleasant pepper and, and uh, spice to it at the end. So it's super appropriate, I think, for the season. Um, other than that, we did just release a Pilsner, um, an Italian Pilsner, which has become one of my favorite beers to drink. Um, 
So like a Tebow pills kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Essentially inspired by by Tebow pills. Um, uh, dry hops, of course, with only European hops. Um, but super cl- super clean, super crisp, floral, like a little bit mild, berry flavors from the uh, from the uh, the noble hops. Um, it's kind of interesting when you when you use a lot of those noble hops, you end up getting a little bit more of the berry, the perceived berry fruit beyond the floral notes. Um, yeah, I mean, I think those two are probably probably the way the way to go. It sounds good, man. And the, one, one more thing. As a brewer, I, I don't know if Jordan would say yes or no to this. Working at where you are now at 18th Ward, what's one piece of equipment, can be big or small, that you wish you had, assuming you also had the room for it, at 18th Ward? Uh, oh, man. Yeah, I would say probably like a, a bigger system. Yeah, we're, you know, we're, <laughs> only, we're, all, we're only a three-barrel system here, which is yeah. – uh, which was um, – uh, Will doesn't know this yet, but it was very challenging when the shows were going on. You know, September, October, November for you know a, a, a Brooklyn Steel uh, uh, season, you've got uh, twenty six nights of shows. We at some point, I think we didn't we didn't understand this. At some point, mid October last year, we only had three of our own styles of beer. So you know, Will Will's going to have uh, his challenges when Brooklyn Steel yeah. opens back up with the system. So actually, that is a good point. I do know what I would love. Keg washer. Ah, yes. <laughs> we don't have the room. I would buy it for no, We don't have no the room. room. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's 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 one thing that I when I came in, I was like, kind of kind of like a little bit backwards learning, where I was like, oh, wow, I've never I've never done this without machine to do it for me. Well, it's 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 like old school, you know, like Chris Kuzme at Fifth Hammer. I remember when he was at Five Away Gastro Brewery in Soho, and and he was really doing everything by hand as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's only up. You can say that it's only it's only going to go up. And then let's go back to a bigger question. Um, let's give this one to Jordan first, and then Richie will finish it off. The big question for you guys now: you're all you're all brewers and breweries in New York City, which we're very proud of since 2014. The number of breweries has gone from really a handful to over 40. Um, Jordan, what is the spirit of New York City craft beer? What's the spirit as a whole? Uh, yeah, for you. And for you guys, what way you see it or way you want it to be? Well, here, here's how I can look at it. Uh, for us personally, we would not, you know, as, as COVID has been terrible, uh, it – prompted us to do other things that we were not planning on doing, like bringing, you know, we've got Will and we're canning and things like that. So it actually pushed along um, some fun things for us to do. So personally, we're, we're excited about where we're at and where we're moving, even though we don't have Brooklyn Steel. Um, I think that the cool part about New York City uh, brewing, and you mentioned Anne earlier, is that, you know, we continuously talk all the breweries together we continuously help each other out. Everybody's very supportive via email or phone call. I can call any brewery right now and, and ask for anything. Yeah, yeah. And, there's a right? great, there's yeah, there's a great sense of community here, and um, it's it's kind of, I I think it's kind of quite unique, um, especially living in the the most ridiculous city in the country, probably the world. It's like, you know, one of the first things that that I did um, once COVID hit, uh, when I was still over at the Bronx, is we realized that kind of all of these breweries in New York City were going to be hit with all this out-of-code beer. And I ended up partnering with Anne and, um, and Roxanne over at Kings County Distilling, and we started sending her out-of-code beer to turn into hand sanitizer. And it's just this, this kind of um, this perfect storm of community that, you know, we always, we always look out for each other. Yeah. You know? it's, it's, it's been... Again, I've only, you know, Will's been doing this for a while, uh, you know, here in New York. But, you know, we only became part of this, uh, you know, within the last year. And, and I, I can't believe how, again, how supportive people are and how everybody's willing to help each other out. So to answer your question, I think we're going to survive. I think everybody's going to continue to band together and, and do well here. Um, you know, and if that's getting creative with how uh, our guild, you know, <laughs> builds other revenue streams and that's they'll they'll do it we have a smart smart group that's that's running the show there 
Well, and Will, just one more, just tell us again about the hand sanitizer project because um, those things happen, must have happened really fast. Yeah. So it, when I was, uh, I guess this was mid March. So I actually, a little bit of backstory. I love telling people this. My wife and I got married March 13th, <laughs> which was the day, basically the day, the evening, New York City uh, got their stay at home order. Um, so we were like the last, the last day. <laughs> Um, and then it, we celebrated both of our birthdays, March 14th in, at home. And then, uh, we had to kind of figure out what was going to happen. Um, but the next few weeks at work were, were kind of, kind of up in the air. Like no one, no one knew what was happening. No one knew what was going to happen. There was, there was literally, no one had any idea how to plan for this, um, but after a few days of, of weirdly working from home, which never happens in beer, um, I really, like, I was just thinking of, you know, dealing with union as a distributor and like all of these, these breweries in the city are going to be sitting on kegs of beer that they do not know what to do with. And especially from the distro and the distributor doesn't want that beer at some point. Um, so I think I ended up, I ended up reaching out to Anne because it was just kind of like, I, I, I noticed that other, other um, cities were doing this. I reached out to Anne and told me that uh, rock band had already started making uh, hand sanitizer down at Kings County. And I got in touch with Roxanne. I was just like, Hey, do you think this is a possibility? I know, you know, eight barrels of beer isn't going to make a ton of hand sanitizer, but it's better than it being dumped. Um, and it, it worked, I think, within, you know, two or three weeks of the shutdown, we had beer being sent down. I think the Bronx sent down maybe 18, 18 24 kegs or something. And, uh, yeah, I mean, they, they've been pumped. They were able to pump out tons of sanitizer. We were dropping them off locally in the Bronx. Roxanne and Kings County Distillery were dropping them off all across the Bronx, Manhattan, first, giving it to first responders basically doing whatever we could as a city to make sure that the people helping people were safe themselves. Well, that, that's a great story, man. And uh, let's go back to Rich. Rich, for you, um, I think this question is really for you. What's the spirit of New York City craft beer? Because to me, you, you, you've you been that spirit for a long time. Thanks, Jimmy. Um, I'm going to say resilience. I mean, we, we have the, we have challenges that a lot of other breweries don't have even, you know, just 40 miles North, you know? Um, and I think the challenges just keep coming since we're, you know, in, in the city, in the city, uh, you know, uh, you know, with the challenges of COVID. So I feel like the demands to be resilient are on our shoulders probably more than any place else in the state. So I, I think that's, I think if anything, if if any, if we're going to walk out of this with with any sense of accomplishment, it's going to be the acknowledgement that we persevered through it um, harder than anybody else. That's great. And then, Will, I mean, Rich, uh, what what can do you have out there in the next couple of weeks that that I should be drinking? Uh, we we have a few things coming. Um, we have we have a a Hefeweizen that we're going to be naming. Uh, I need to speak to your manager. <laughs> it's right around the corner. Um, we just recently canned a whole bunch of our uh, coconut IPA. That's uh fuck the virus that people just can't s- stop taking pictures of online. Um, yeah. I have a can uh, in my fridge. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and what's your Oktoberfest? The Oktoberfest was, um, it was, I can't believe it's, no, no, I'm sorry. I can't wait till it's over fest. <laughs> then we can had a whole bunch of, uh, you know, politicians of interest that were all like clustered together, um, on the, on the, you know, the can itself. And then at one point my, uh, it's, I was putting the, the can art together and I was just like grabbing images that I could find. And, um, my my uh one of my bartenders goes you have to put a p- picture of putin 
So I was like, all right. You know, like I, I took, I took a picture of what I was doing. I sent, I texted it to him. He goes, you got it. He goes, you got to include Putin in there. So as I was working on that, it was a Sunday and you know, Sunday's usually family day for me and the wife and kids. And I heard my wife going, I don't think we could drive out to Long Island today. I mean, they've been seeing sharks all over the place. So I was like, all right, that's 2020 as well. So I went and I tracked down a picture of a shark. And uh, so Putin, right next to Putin is a shark. So they were the two ending images that uh, finished that can art. (laughs) Well, that's great, man. Um, You guys really uh, made my day. And and thanks for sharing all these these thoughts and resilient stories. Jordan, you want to wrap it up? Anything that we should we should be thinking about going into the, you know, the next couple of months? Uh, I guess I guess on our end, just uh, for anybody else that's that's listening to this, just be safe and uh, be happy, and let's get through the winter time, and uh, you know, let's let's continue to drink beer and yeah. drink local. Support your local brewery. All right, All right. and Will, it's a real pleasure um, meeting you and. Uh, hearing about some of your, your stories. And I look forward to talking to all you guys further. Yeah. Um, Thank you very big much. Sh- th- thanks everybody. Thanks Jordan, Will and Rich for joining me on heritage radio network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. I'm the host of beer sessions radio. Thanks to our producer, Dylan Hoyer and engineer, Amanda Wang. I will catch you next time on beer sessions radio. All right. All right. Woo. All right. Beer Sessions Radio is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like. Tell your friends and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.